Hey guys, if you are a father who would like to have a deeper relationship with your son, if you have a son that you're trying to pour into and develop, if you want to help your son see the greatness that you know he has in his life, I've got a very special event coming up June 23rd through 27. We are going to be in Cleveland National Forest. My father's coming with me, Who my, the man who you hear me talk about all the time, who helped me become who I've become in life. We're going to be doing a father-son rite of passage event, Map and Compass Land Navigation. I'll be teaching you how to use Map and Compass in the exact same place that I learned in Navy SEAL training. This is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You'll, rem- you'll have these memories for the rest of your life. If you want to find out more, you can click the link in the description below. We've only got 16 spots available and we've already sold a few of those you can find out more at the impossible.life slash legacy navigators from 89 to 93 hooked on crack cocaine homeless sleeping in vacant houses no lights no gas no water standing on corners hadn't showered in months hadn't brushed my teeth in months totally didn't know who i was giving up on life my family gave up my friends gave up you know people gave up and i'm just standing in places and wondering, why is this happening to me? It's impossible. Let me tell you what I believe. But your weakness is not your technique. Yes! Yes! Don't think you are. Know you are. The Impossible Life Podcast. I mean, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. This is the Impossible Life Podcast. Because Nick and I are attempting to live impossible lives. What we know is that nothing is impossible. So instead of using impossible as an excuse to not try, we'll use the pursuit of impossible as an accelerant for greatness. If something's never been done before, that just means it's unexplored. If they tell you it's too hard, it's just waiting to be simplified. Impossible is a default label used by uncourageous people unwilling to take a risk. The real truth is this. The solution to any impossible task starts with this question. If I had to, what would it take? What would it take? Welcome to another episode of The Impossible Life. I'm your co-host, Nick Surface, and I'm sat across at a man who's literally killed two birds with one stone recently. That's right, friends. The former Navy SEAL... Garrett Unklebach, a man who turns cliches into reality. I thought these I thought these were supposed to be like hypotheticals or jokes. Well, you know, Garrett, that's just an average day. It is just an average day. We um, people won't know this, but before we started recording this, Garrett was telling all the stories about all the snakes he's killed, uh, which myself. And our guest, that's right, friends, we got a guest today. Keenan Williams is in the house. Uh, we found it very fascinating to listen to Garrett uh, talk about all the snakes he I killed. started off in my childhood being, like, so afraid of snakes. I had a really bad experience. And I turned that into becoming the snake killer and catching <laughs> snakes live and selling them for money. But, so. like, this isn't, like, two or three times. He was like, oh, yeah, hundreds. And, like, then he starts recounting wow. all the stories. So it was wow. just, like, I mean... I think St. Patrick would be jealous of you because he ridded all the snakes out of Ireland and you're trying to do that in Texas. (laughs) So cool. Cool story. Hello there. I'm so, so honored uh, to have Keenan here with us today. Yeah. Keenan Williams. So if you don't know who Keenan Williams is, uh, I'm going to give you a choose your own adventure. 
If I could tell you that we could have one of two people on the podcast, you could choose from them, okay? So ask yourself this question as you're sitting there listening. You could have somebody who's been arrested 45 times, shot six times, stabbed, beaten with a baseball bat, been homeless and a gang leader and a drug dealer and spent six years in prison. Or we could have a guy on who's a best-selling published author on a book he co-wrote with Les Brown, who's a traveling motivational speaker speaking in schools, rehab facilities, and re-entry programs, has his own re-entry program, was also the former VP of the NAACP and the former strategic director for Donald Trump. Which one would you choose? As, as well as having massive influence in the political realm today. Yeah, we could have one or both. Oh, let's actually have both because it's the same person. Guys, everything I just said was Keenan Williams' story. That's his whole life right there. Both are true. So I, Kenan, remember, I remember the first time I heard Keenan talk, um, I saw him at church, and uh, Pastor Keith just gave him the mic for a minute, which I've known him my whole life, and he doesn't do that to very many people. Right. And he just handed Keenan the mic for a minute. I was like, okay, this is a different, different human. Um, I was captivated, captivated the first time Keenan spoke and in a short amount of time uh, was just uh, engaging, inspiring, told some of his story and really uh, left, left everyone in there wondering like, yes. who is this guy that I've never heard of? Right. And now you get to hear him. So Keenan, welcome to the Impossible Life Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on, man. Um, your bio is just incredible um, to go from being in prison um, I want to kind of fill in some of the gaps there and please tell me if I'm wrong or add anything to it. So, as I said, you were arrested 45 times. You are the only person on here that's been shot and stabbed on our podcast. So that's a, a unique, a unique distinction. Um, you know, we'll see how things go from here as far as guests go, but you've set a unique bar. Uh, you were obviously a gang leader and drug dealer. And I, I read about some of the stuff you were doing, like you were actually rob, like, if I understand it correctly, you were robbing other drug dealers to, Oh yeah. I used to rob drug houses. Right. Which I mean, that's, That's why I got shot so many times. Yeah. <laughs> Note to self, don't don't rob a drug house. Um, he was the Robin Hood of, of, <laughs> of gangs. Yeah, but I forgot to use a mask. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was my problem. But that's insane. So then you get, you get, go, you were also a football star, right? Like you were very yeah. good at football. Oh, yeah, I grew up with a dream of playing prof professional football. Yeah, I, I, which is, yeah, and then you, you hurt your knee. Is that right? Yeah, I had total reconstruction my senior year in high school. Right. And so that could be a preseason blue chipper. Oh, man. And that kind of killed the dream. Oh, yeah. Tons of colleges there the first game to watch me. Oh, man. Parents dreamed that I would be a professional. Everyone in the neighborhood knew I'd be a professional football player. Man. And so yeah. you go from that to robbing drug houses. And then you got you went to prison for si and you were in there for six years. Um, and as I understand it, you were violent for the first four. And I never had one good day. No, I, I, yeah. Even after getting saved. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, no, it was man. horrible. I can't even imagine, man. Um, but you, it's, you were violent for the first four years. And then... Something happened in the last two. You read over 200 books. Uh, you were inspired by Joseph from the Bible's trip from prison to the palace. And you said, if he can do it, so can you. Well, well how did that start for you, Keenan? How did the, I mean, regardless, uh, and I don't know what, what the order was, if you, um, the word started speaking to you or you just started reading. But what made you just start reading? Because that's a, a massive transformation yeah. to go from who you were going into prison to becoming a reader. I was radically saved. Yeah. And I was a Muslim for, I became a Muslim the fourth year in uh, because I was, I saw the discipline the Muslims exemplified. Yeah. Mm. And I knew I needed discipline. And that started speaking to me. So I changed my name to Ishmael Akhtar Rahib and became a Muslim, started serving with the Muslims. Uh, I like the way they held their Quran. I like their discipline. I mm. love the unity, yeah. uh, the family unity that they showed. Uh, I was attracted to that. 
Uh, and then after becoming a Muslim, uh, it was not, it wasn't satisfying. I still, there was still something wrong. And so we got into a big riot on the unit and I was in lockdown. Uh, still a gang, uh, still a gang leader uh, at this time. <clears throat> Even though I was a Muslim, I was still going both, you know, living on both sides. Mm. Um, and was locked down in the ad seg by myself. And after a couple of days being in there, I had a conversation with God. I was like, you know, I just, I knew something was different about me. I knew that he had called me to something which I didn't understand what he had called me to. Mm. I just knew where, that where I was that different. Where did that come from? Had somebody said that to you? Did no one they, had to say it. I always, it always, I was always that way growing up, even as a child. You knew there was something. I, I was always a leader in the neighborhood. I was always yeah. fighting. I was always aggressive. Mm. Uh, people always respected me. Um, I just knew that something was different about me. Regardless of what I was doing, even when I joined the gang, I went to the top very fast because I was just built different. Mm. And I didn't quite understand that, but I knew that God had something to do with that. And, and, and then like the second or third, it's like third or fourth day. I can't remember the third or fourth day uh, when I was in that cell. I, I started having conversations with God I'd never had. Mm. Very angry, you know, very frustrated. Yeah. Uh, you know, who wakes up or who's in, who's in the third grade and says, I want to go to prison for the rest of my life. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Or I want to be a crackhead. Yeah. <laughs> Or I want to get shot six times. Yeah, you don't wake up and say that. You don't wake up and say that. You wake up and you you watch television, you read books, you dream mm -hmm. about, and you have these aspirations of becoming successful yes. when you're in the third grade. Yes. That teacher says, who do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. I want to be a professor. I want to be a football player. I want For to be sure. a basketball player. You know, and so when that was shattered, there was no hope. Right. And hopeless people make hopeless decisions. Yeah. You know, you can't. You can't even have faith that there's no hope right. because hope works by faith. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so having that conversations with him about why me, why am I here? Why did I, you know, why did I quit high school? Why, why did I get on drugs? Why have I been shot so many times? You know, why have I been through the life that I've been through? Why did my parents do what they did? Why did my friends do what they did? I was angry and I got all of that stuff out. And what was really cool is that he didn't criticize, condemn, or judge me. I talked to him mm. and I had a sense of peace because it was for the first time in my life, I was able to talk about it. Mm. Um, my father taught me men don't cry mm. and we don't cry like girls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in other words, you don't talk about things the way women talk about things. Yeah. And that was wrong information, Yeah, but it was information that he received. And so the next night I tried that again and it was really cool because uh, there used to be guys that would come in and out of prison uh, that were Christians, these yeah. Mike Barber ministries, Bill Glass ministries. And they would always say, man, Jesus loves you. And you know, he, God loves you. And it's not, you know, and I was like, man, I don't want to hear that crap. If God loved me, then why am I here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If Jesus is so much of a hero, then why did he allow this to happen to me? Mm -hmm. And that night I just, I said, you know what? It, it doesn't matter whatever it takes. Cause I hated Christians. Number one, mm -hmm. I knew that I would never become a Christian. Yeah, man, I couldn't stand Christians. It was that just from being a Muslim at that time, or was no? It was things? it was pre it was pre Muslim. It was yeah. pre prison because when I was homeless and I was on drugs for those last from ninety, I'm sorry, from eighty six, from eighty nine to ninety three, I got hooked on crack cocaine. So I remember being homeless and on those corners, and 
no shower, no lights. You're sleeping in places that I didn't know who the people were. Mm-hmm. But I remember it being Sundays because there were people would drive by with nice hats and nice suits on. Yeah. And they were going to this building with the cross, but those people were mean. Mm-hmm. They would lock the doors on me. Right. Right? And some would lock the door, and I understood why they locked the door, because they didn't, they didn't know what I was going to do when I was that close to their car. Yeah. I got that part. Yeah. It was the ones that locked the door that said mean things like, get a life, quit doing drugs, you're trash, you need to get saved. Jeez. And then they looked at me as though I didn't matter in life. Mm-hmm. And they represented the yeah. place with the cross. So yeah. I knew I never wanted to become a Christian. Yeah. Wow. Because I had a picture of Christians being judgmental, criticizing, horrible people. When in the reality is in my heart, I wanted them to jump out and say, let me tell you about this God I serve. Mm. Yeah. You know, don't tell me to stop doing drugs. Tell me what that looks like. Yeah. yeah. Share with me how to stop doing that, you know? Uh, so I never wanted to become a Christian. But so that's why I had this big hate, you know, towards Christians. But, but this particular night, I had that conversation and I felt so, such a sense of peace. I said, even if it takes becoming a Christian, to be what you've called me to be, mm. the Jesus thing. I didn't realize what a prayer of salvation was, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, man, when I said that something happened, the power of the Holy Spirit hits me in the cell. I, I remember getting goosebumps, mm. and it hit me, and it just took over my body. Mm. And I'm running around this cell, and I'm yelling, and I'm screaming, and I'm saying things I don't know what I'm saying. And, and the guards are at the door looking in because they think I've lost my mind. Mm. Yeah. Because in ad sake, people lose their mind, they, they commit suicide. Right. And I'm running around, and I finally settled down. I said, I'm not crazy, but Jesus is real. Huh. Because something took over me, and I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand. I couldn't explain what it was. Yeah. I just knew that I said what I said, and something invaded me and yes. took control of me to the point to where I knew that God existed. Yes. Wow. And I wanted to know who that was and why that happened to me. And so I started reading when I got out, I told everyone, you know, Jesus is real, man, God does exist. And I read 248 books in two years. And wow. so when you mean, when you got out, when you got out, when I got out of ad seg, yeah. when I got out of ad seg, um, and ad, ad seg is what? Ad seg is, is when you're separated from population and you're on lockdown by yeah, yourself. That's okay. like the hole, right? Like yeah, it's we, like okay. the hole. We okay. call the hole, you know? So, yeah. I got out and I immediately got a Bible. And when I I opened the Bible up into the New Testament and I read where it said, you know, Jesus opened the book and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and I've come to preach. And he, you know, read all this. I said, okay, so if I'm going to be like him, I've got to do what he did. Mm. Yeah. So I opened the book of the Bible and I started reading and trying to find me. Huh. Are you with me? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, man. Because you, what he you read. remember what the first thing he read was? Um, yeah, I read the book. It was the book of John. Yeah. Uh, but then when I read how he said the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and it was, he read from a place that was written about him. Yes. Right. I said, okay, I've got to read about a place that's written about me. Huh. Yeah. That's what made me read about Moses and Joseph. And mm. so when I read those characters, I didn't read to see them. I was reading to see me. Yeah. I love that. So I found me in the word. Yeah. And I began to identify with that 
that was written not for them, but it was written about me, but it was just their story. I love that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I started grabbing that, you know, like Moses, man, I went to the first book. I'm like, okay, I got to start from the beginning, you know? And, you know, it was cool because Moses was born a Hebrew. Yeah. But he was raised Egyptian. Right. And so what inspired me about him was he was too much of a Hebrew to ever be an Egyptian, but he was too much of an Egyptian to ever be a Hebrew. Yes. Right. right? Yeah. So with me, I said, okay, I was born in the hood, but there were four streets in my community that were bused to the neighborhood school. Okay. So I went to school with like 95% white people. Okay. But I was raised in the hood. Wow. Right? So like Moses, <laughs> I grew up being too black to be white, huh. but I was too white to be black. Mm. Right. Because I could live in both worlds in yeah. a very familiar space, huh. and I knew how to operate that way. And I never knew why God allowed me to go to an all-white school. Yeah. It taught me how to communicate and speak the language huh. of another race. But I lived in this race. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes. No, it's so, well, so that's how I grabbed like, Moses. Just like how you said also, like from a young age, you just felt something. I just knew I was different. In, right. It's just like Joseph. Like you just had a dream. Yeah. I, I just knew that it was something different. And I need to know what the difference was, you know. And, and then Moses was, was so educated because he was an Egyptian. He went to yes. the best schools. Mm-hmm. And then I, yeah. I realized he wrote most of the Old, no, Old Testament. Yeah. And I said, okay. I'm Moses. Right. <laughs> I'm just like Moses. So if I'm going to be like Moses, I need to educate myself. Huh. Because I didn't want God to, to be limited on how much he could use me. And so education is imperative to expand the capacity of your use yes. in this new walk, in this life. So that's how you got into reading 200 books. That's how I started reading. Like, I got to read. And then, you know, of course, I jump in the New Testament, man. And it says, be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then most people stopped there. Right. No, I didn't stop there. I kept reading. It says, so that you can prove. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I said, whoa, this thing has to be proven. Yeah. So in order to mm, prove it, I've got to change the way I'm thinking because if I change how I think, I change how I feel. Yes. What I feel determines what I do. What I do is my, is my habits. My habits form my character. My character gives me a new destiny. Yes. Right? Yep. So I started dealing with the root, which the root of our lives is our identity. Yeah. Yes. I wasn't changing the fruit. I didn't want to deal with the fruit. I said, forget the fruit. Right. Forget the drugs. Forget the alcohol. Forget the gangs. Forget the robbing. Forget all of that stuff. That's just the fruit of the root. Yes. So God taught me to get into the root of the issue, which was my identity. Mm. And then I moved into Joseph, you know, who was in the prison. And, 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 the, and it said that the, the keepers of the prison handed him all of the prisoners because they knew he would teach them what to do. Wow. Yeah. And so I started in prison. I started, I, I said, okay, Joseph began to walk in integrity in the place he was in. So now I need to walk in the integrity in the place that I'm in. And so pretty soon the guards started trusting me. Huh. And they started bringing prisoners to me for me to share with them what the ropes of the prison was. Wow. How to go here and go there and stay out of problems and stay out of trouble and what to do. So I, I, I stopped watching television. I, God taught me one of, the, one of the first things I learned in my identity before I found out who I was is I learned something called the law of subtraction. Interesting. Okay. Okay. We always talk about the law of attraction. Yes. But what we forget is that there's actually a law of subtraction. Right. So I had to start subtracting who I was not. Yes. Meaning I had to decide I'm not a drug dealer. Yeah. I'm not alcoholic. I'm not a gang member. 
I'm not a homeless guy. I'm not a thug. I'm not a guy that'll be in and out of prison. I subtracted those things from my life. And in the moment of that subtraction, I moved into a place of where I started building character. And in that space is where I discovered who I was. Yes. But I first decided who I was not. Yeah, right? Interesting. Yes. And so when I, when I started reading about my new identity, I was just foolish enough to believe some stuff, man. I, I didn't get caught up in church. Because I watched the guys that sat on the front row, and they were with the pastor all the time, and they were with the chaplain all the time. But I kept watching these guys get out, and they come right back in. I'm like, why does it keep happening? Like, if you become a Christian, or if you become a new person and you get in church, why do you get out and you go and do back, go do the same things that you were doing? Yeah. That didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, God, that's not what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, wanted, I don't want to get out and come back. Right. I want to get out and be done. Yeah. You know? So I never connected with those guys. Yes. Because I saw the fruit of their life. Not that I saw them as bad people. Yeah. But I saw the fruit. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so I grabbed a whole, and every time I, every time I walk, and I still have to do this today, some things never change. If I make a mistake, I never identify with the mistake I've made. Mm. That's good. Because if I identify with what I've done, I miss what he's done. Yes. That's right. That's so good. Are you with me? Yes. And that's, that's so, the law of subtraction. So Paul said, that's why Paul said, what I do, I don't want to do, and what I keep doing, I don't want to do, and all that stuff. And then he says, but but if I ever do it again, it's not me. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> he said, it's not I who do it. In other words, Paul said, my heart is not in that, in not that that's not the fruit of who I am. Yeah. Who I am is in him. Yes. So, Grabbing that identity, that new identity, I had to learn. I always heard this thing, we're sinners saved by grace. Mm. How many of us have heard that? Yeah. I learned all this stuff in prison without a pastor. <laughs> no, literally, literally yeah. which was great because I didn't have to get like detoxed yeah. out of religion yeah. just to get yeah. back with who he was. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I can't sinners, and I'm like, man, I can't find that in the Bible. Yeah. There's nowhere in the Bible so I used to challenge the guys. I even challenged the, the chaplain. I need you to show me where it says we're sinners saved by grace. That's who we are. I said, that's not what the Bible teaches me. It teaches me that I'm dead to sin huh. and that I'm alive in him. Yeah. So I got to choose huh. either I'm dead to it and alive in him or mm. I'm still struggling with yes. it and I'm denying what he's done. Yeah, Ezekiel yeah. says I give you a new heart. Yeah, I love that. D- does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So that identity... I, I, I dealt with the identity of who, brother, I haven't had a drink, alcohol, or drugs since 1993. Wow. I took one step in believing differently about me, and I never had an urge again. Yes. What, and, man. And I see people going through recovery, yeah. 12 steps, 24 steps, tw- and I'm not knocking the recovery. If that's what you got to do for you, that's fine. Because there are good gifts and perfect gifts. I just decided on the perfect one. Yeah. Right? They yeah. never subtracted. Can you, there, I, I just decided on the perfect one. Yeah. There, so we this we wanted to cover identity because we obviously talked beforehand about what we were going to cover. And so you touched on it so many times. There's so many good things that we can highlight there. We're big on, I don't even know if you're familiar with it, but you literally went through it and identified all the different steps. We're big on the cognitive behavioral framework here. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you're a, like a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy guy, but it's the whole thing of there's events, 
Then you're your thinking on the events, which generate mm-hmm. your feelings, which generate your actions, mm-hmm. and your actions will change the, the events, and then the whole circle starts again. But right. the generator of the thinking is your core beliefs, a.k.a. your identity about yourself. So that little thinking, a lot of people are unaware of the thinking part because they're unaware of who they are. They never change their behavior because the, they never change their identity. Exactly, and you touched on, you literally said that and identified all of those, and you said that, and I was like, man, it's so good, and, and we want to go deeper Can I just comment on that real quick? Yeah, Just please. as an example of... Like how truth is truth. Yes. Like no one had to teach Keenan that yes. for him to live it and experience it. He just stepped fully into the will of God for his life. And things like CBT exist. It's there are people discovering what is the true nature exactly. of man and say, how can I help people who don't understand this? Yes. Yeah. Right. But no one had to teach it for you, for you to walk in. No, it. God had to teach me that. Yeah. But it was cool because, you know, I, Paul said to much grace, you know, much grace is given, much is required. Yeah. For him, he had to get knocked off of a horse. Yeah. And be right? blind for three days. Yeah. And be blind for three days. Why is that? Because his sin was so deep. Right. Grace had to get deep underneath it to send him into shock. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Of like, wow, something's better than what I've been. Something's mm-hmm. different from what I've been. So for me, that experience in that sale that night, it took that for me. Huh. Because I was hell bent against never becoming a Christian. I didn't understand any of that. I couldn't stand that. I didn't like the name. I didn't like any of that. So God had to get deep underneath that and put me in a place of shock yeah. to where I could no longer deny who he was. I love that. Man, I want to um, – so we kind of flash forward to hear some amazing parts of the story, but I want to dive a little bit deeper back because you talked about how you changed your identity. And one of the things we always talk about on this podcast is default and design. And up until the age of seven, you're having your subconscious formed, which is where a lot of your identity comes from, Mm -hmm. uh, these subconscious thoughts. And, you know, when you're a kid, obviously, you just take everything that happens to you and you're not like filtering it. You're just kind of like, okay, this is like you're making your map of the world and yourself and others very unconsciously. It's sort of being played out for you, which is why so many people that come from a, a, a rough beginning it takes so much work if they want to if they want to change the path of life that they're on. So I want to I want to go into your uh, a little bit of your early stages to, to find out what influenced your identity pre prison and led up to that. Because I mean, you touched on a few things being a football star. You talked about your dad. So right. I mean, with violence and crime being a part of your upbringing, like how did you see yourself when you were a young like a young man pre prison, and what influenced you to embrace like violence and crime so regularly? So growing up, you know, in the in the hood, hood is where the black people are. You know. I got to do ebonical translation sometimes. Thank you. You yeah. know what I mean? Garrett's, Garrett's uh, Webster's 1828 doesn't right. have that. <laughs> right. I, I don't have a filter, okay? I'm real free. Hey, man. So, yeah. you, you know, growing up there, you see violence because there's poverty. Right. Mm-hmm. You see violence because there are people that are surviving. And anytime anyone is in survival mode, people get hurt. Yeah. For sure. Survival mode gets you hurt. Even if you're in survival mode on your own, yeah. you're still hurting yourself. It's certainly yourself. not purpose. It's no, so you're not living in purpose. You're not living in the blessing. You're, yeah. you're in survival mode. It'll you're make just you stronger. It. It'll make you stronger. There's nothing wrong with getting that strength. You know, I, so I, I did a quote this morning, and, and it was, my prayer today is not for God to deliver us from darkness, mm. but that he wakes us up. To understand that we're the light. Mm. Yeah. Man, I, did you come up with that? Yeah. I'm probably going to use that quote on our, we do quotes daily. I was in the daily. gym this morning at 530, man, and yeah. it just hit me. Because I get so many, you know, being in the arenas that I'm in in leadership, so much complaining, so much nagging, so much eye to eye. 
God, and, and God man, I'm gonna you. tell you something. There's so much eye to eye, and I tell them all the time: if you're living eye to eye, you, 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 this is blind serving the blind. Yeah, and, and by eye everybody's to eye, you everybody's mean, blind if you're doing eye to eye. Yeah, you mean eye for an eye, eye for an eye. Yeah. If we're doing eye for an eye, we're all blind. Yeah, right. And that's what happens if we get pulled into the thing that I say I hate the most. Yes, I've become it when I act that way. Even if it's a Christian. It doesn't matter. Because I, I for yeah. an it doesn't eye, matter. Yeah. I for an eye in our walk with God is the wages of sin is death. Yeah. Right? Is that what God wanted for us? For us to all be dead? No. No. no, no he no. wants so much more for us. Yes. Someone has to yes. think that way. That eye for an eye is horrible. Realm. That eye for an eye is horrible. And I, I experienced it so much. But I, I jumped off a little bit. But no, you want to okay. go to childhood. So childhood. Yeah, I just, I just so I grow up of, yeah. seeing that. Right. Okay. So I go to the right and they're drug dealers. Right. And I go to the left. Now, I'm going to school, but I still got to go to the right. Right. Yeah. There's the drug dealers. I go to the left. There's the gang members. Right. So what you see gets in. The heart has two gateways, the eyes and the ears. Yeah. So if I'm seeing it and I'm hearing it, my heart is not being guarded from that. Right. Right? It's getting in my heart. So Catch, catch that familiar. if you're listening right now, what, what Keenan just said. The heart has two gateways, your eyes and your ears. What are you letting in to yeah. your eyes and, and your, your ears? ears. That's yes. changing your heart. That's changing the center of your walk with God. It gets, it gets in there, you know. So, and, and my father was an only child, okay? So he was 5'7", 130 pounds soaking wet. Wow, okay. Born in the hood. West Dallas, the projects. Right. Right? So he had to be tough growing up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he was he was had the Napoleon complex, man. Okay, yeah. Like he'd fight at the drop of a dime, you know. He was real angry, you know what I mean? And even when he, you know, disciplined us, his spankings were like whoopings. They were not spankings. He yeah. just beat us without an explanation. Right. Right, because he was angry, not because he hated us, but because he was trying to keep us from where we were going. Right. But he didn't know how, he didn't know any other way to do it. Yeah. Right? So with that, and, and then my, my household... My parents fought all the time. It was very unhealthy. My dad used to abuse my mom. He used to hit my mom. He used to beat my mom. And so we grew up seeing that. And then in the neighborhood, you know, I was always the, the, the husky kid. The, you know, I was always aggressive. So from the age of six, I was fighting. Right. And then the bigger kids in the neighborhood would make me fight other kids. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah they would make me fight the other yeah. kids from, like, the other communities or the other streets. Like, they make us go to the park, and you're going to fight him today, and I'd yeah. have to fight, you At know? six years old. At, from six years old, six all the way up, right? Jeez. I doubt very so, many people listening, uh, their playground was Fight Club. No kidding. It man. was Fight Club, you know? Yeah. And, and I lived in an apartment complex, so we'd meet on the playground apartment complex and fight, you know? Right. And there's two two brothers, and, and one of them's dead. One of them's named, you know, Terry and Dwayne. Yeah. They were like my promoters, you know? They kept me fighting, man. <laughs> Dwayne was actually killed when I was about... 11 years old, he shot in the head, and I watched it. Oh, man. Okay? Jeez. In the house. But so growing up doing that, and then my father was angry, and my, my environment was very volatile and very violent, um, that stuff gets inside of you. Yes. Yeah. So I didn't know anything but violence. So I found football to be a way of be, being violent but doing it the, the healthy way. Right, yeah. So I became very good. I was in the weights, man. I never drank. I never sm I didn't do any of that stuff in school. I was never one of those kids. I had one issue, well, two issues, I'm sorry. I talked a lot, 
I'm a motivational speaker for a reason. <laughs> right? God had a plan. Yeah. God had a plan. And I fought all the time. Right. So, you know, but I was the oldest, so I had to protect everybody. You know, I was the protector. Yeah. You know, I hated bullies. Man, I see a bully bullying someone, he's about to get beat up. You know, I just didn't like bullies, right? So growing up with that and seeing that, it really put that violence in me. Right. And then when I got my senior year of high school, you know, co- colleges were there to watch me. Uh, man, everybody, friends, my family, everybody's there to watch me my senior year. And the first game I get crashed down on my knee and go to the hospital. I had total reconstruction of my knee. Mm. The doctor walks in and says, you can never play football again. Oh, right? Man. So my only dream, it, listen, in the hood, this is the reality back then. The only way out of that poverty was sports or entertainment. I didn't have senators or congressmen or presidents, or businessmen that was inspiring to say, you can become this. Right. Yeah. There was no one knocking on my door, encouraging me, or mentoring me. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I never got a door hanger. And, and I imagine probably that even the teachers you had in school were just saying, Keenan, you better do good in football. That's yeah. it. That's it. But no one ever told me the importance of education. So it was just about football. You know, I got to do I gotta do so many grades and mm. different things because of football. Yeah. I'm going to send you to the coach's office. You didn't do your homework, you go to coach's office. Then coach, coach, coach calls, and I get forgiven, right? Or I yeah. get to go do it. You know? So when football ends, I'm in the hospital for about a week. <clears throat> my parents didn't come to the hospital. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So I'm like, you know, what the heck? Yeah. You know, what the hell? You know, uh, don't get offended when I say hell. It's important. <laughs> you know, what the hell? And I'm there, and, and so my friends take me home. And I get to my house. And the lights are off. And they put me on the couch. It's daytime, by God's grace. It's daytime. Doors open. Put me on the couch. My mom walks in. And she looks at me. She says, I'm sorry I didn't visit your hospital. Your dad and I are getting divorced. I'm afraid he's going to hurt me. I've got to go. She gets some clothes and she leaves. And I'm laying there on the couch. So now I'm 17 years old. Football is over. Even though my family was unhealthy, it was still the family I knew. Yeah. yeah. Now it's done. And I'm lying on the couch at 17, oh my and I have no direction. Yeah, I have no purpose, no significance. I have no guidance, and I don't understand what's going on with life. Right. And all so you know I, is violence. And all I know is violence, Yeah. right? Yeah. So I quit high school with two weeks left oh to join goodness. a gang. Right. Because education wasn't important. No one told me about Abraham Lincoln. They didn't share with me about Frederick Douglass and, and the importance of education and how it would change my life or the dynamics of my direction. So I quit high school and I joined a gang. And I joined the gang in 1986 and moved up the ladder really quick, started selling drugs, you know, fighting, carrying guns, 44. When I was seven years old, I was seven years old. And I grew up hunting and fishing, so my dad was really good at that. And he was a great provider. Right. Listen, great guy. He just had an anger problem, right? And he didn't know how to help healthy relationship. But at seven years old, I beat the kids up next door. They went to go get their cousins to come fight me. Yeah. My dad hears it. There's always a bigger fish. There's yeah. always a bigger fish. My dad hands me a 44 Magnum. Oh, Lord. Sets me on the stairs at seven years old with a 44 Magnum and says, when they walk up the stairs, you shoot them. Wow. By God's grace, they never came up those stairs. Jeez. I'm giving you an example yeah. of what I grew up in, the mentality. Yeah. Seven years old. So I joined the gang. Get was the, guess what was the first gun? 44 I Magnum. Bought, I bought a 44 Magnum. Right. Clint Eastwood special. Yeah. yeah. 
That's what I carried. And from 86 to 93, from 86 to 89, sold drugs, gangs, fighting, arrested, drug houses, all the crazy stuff that I never thought that I would do. And then in 89, I tried crack cocaine for the first time. Messing and with the girls. And that's when it was really exploding. That's when it jumped right? off, right? It yeah. jumped off about 86, 87. Okay. But I tried crack cocaine, and I got hooked the first time. Yeah. And I got from 89 to 93 hooked on crack cocaine, homeless, sleeping in vacant houses, no lights, no gas, no water, standing on corners, huh. hadn't showered in months, hadn't brushed my teeth in months, totally didn't know who I was, giving up on life. My family gave up. My friends gave up. You know, people gave up. And I'm just standing in places and wondering, why is this happening to me? So people ask a question sometimes, or they make statements. And that's why I'm so big to stop people when they criticize, they condemn, or they judge other people. Yeah, You don't know what they've been through. Right. Man. You don't yeah. know what they've had to walk through that has put them in the place that they're in. Yeah, for sure. So where's your grace? Mm. Where's your compassion? Where's your ability to say, are you okay? What can I do to help you? Tell me what's wrong. Right. Let's get you some help. There's a trauma that happens to us in life sometimes that takes us in a direction we never thought we'd go. Right. Right. And then people also come back and say, well, you had options. You had, and, and my, my rebuttal to that is this. I go to a restaurant and I know that it's a steak restaurant, but I don't know my choices until someone hands me the menu. Right. Yeah. Some of us got the menu at an early age. Right. right. But some of us didn't. Yeah, some of us got the menu with someone who said, look, let me tell you what you want on this menu. Yeah. Right? Yes, I've this tried, is what I've, you need to order. I've tried everything. Yes. Let me tell you about the special. Let yes. me tell you about the stuff that's not on the menu. Yes, yes. And they didn't encourage you to have kids by all the different women, and it's so cool to be a player and all that. Yeah. That was the mentality in the hood. Yeah. You know, and it's horrible. Uh, and so that's what put me in the position that I was in, you yeah. know. And I started robbing the drug houses because I got hooked on crack cocaine, you know, and – and what, let me, let me, you know, when I, when I, I went to prison for aggravated robbery, deadly weapon, bodily injury, unlawfully carrying a weapon, unauthorized use of motor vehicle, drug charges, they were dropped. Um, uh, organized crime that was dropped, terroristic threat, unlawfully carrying a weapon, and two assault charges, right? And the aggravated robbery was really bad, and I tell people all the time, you got to understand something. I was a different type of robber. I only robbed drug dealers, so I was an ethical robber. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, I robbed with some etiquette. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I didn't rob the old lady on the corner. Right. You know, I robbed the guy <laughs> that was a bad guy, you know. So I was at Robin Hood, you yeah. know, in the hood, Robin Hood, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, Rob, so. Robin Hood squared, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was that guy, you know. In, in Make a, that into a movie. And, you know, and then so in 93, um, I had all these charges, and I was out on bond several times, and my dad kept paying. And uh, so they were looking for me. Yeah. And there was a detective, and the police were harassing my family. And I had I had aggravated kidnapping charges charge as well. I had grabbed a drug dealer's kid. Jeez. You know, not to hurt the kid yeah, or anything yeah. like that. You know, but to I wanted attention. Yeah, yeah, to get his attention. You know, and of course I returned the kid. Right? Yeah. And so they were really looking for me. The police were looking for me. And so there was one detective who was was all over the place looking. His name is Detective Alan Patton. And so my grandmother had his card, and she's like, hey, they're harassing your brother. They've got him on the ground. they got dogs all in my house. They're looking for you, you know, and I was like, okay, i got to do something different here. Because when I was in the streets, I never brought the streets to my house. Right. Uh. 
I never brought it to my parents' house. I never brought it around my family. When I was out there, I was out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love my family enough to keep it away. So I, I got his number, and I called the detective, and I said, uh, this is Keenan Williams. Uh, I know you're looking for me. He said, yes, we are. Um, I said, well, I, I want to ask you something. I said, if you give me 24 hours to spend with my family, I'll turn myself in. And the detective says, I've never done this, but I'm going to give you 24 hours to spend with your family, and I promise you no one will touch you. He believed in me, huh. and I believed him. So I went to my grandmother's house in the hood, Grand Prairie. Police were everywhere. Standing on the side of the house, parked everywhere, and they looked right at me. And I looked at them, and no one touched me because he kept his word. Wow. That impacted me. Yeah. Like, man, wow. That, that was a detective guy, with some clout. Yeah, like this guy, he trusts me. And so no one had trusted me or believed in me like that in years. Yeah. So that was so impacting to me that that next day I did, I kept my word. Yeah. And I turned myself in. And so when I hit prison. What, com what compelled you to get to that point where you were ready to turn yourself in? Why did you want just because to Because they started, they started harassing my family. So it was no longer just about you. It wasn't about me anymore. Yeah. Now the fight had come to my family. Yeah. And. My, I always kept things away from my family, you know, uh, but it had gotten so bad I had to do something. Did you re did you realize turning yourself in you were going to be in jail for a long time? Oh, that's the first. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's I, when I turned my. I mean, when I called him, I said, "Look, I I know that I'm going to be, you know, in prison for a long time. So just give me 24 hours to spend with my family." And he honored that. And uh, so you know, next day I turned myself in. Have you had contact with that detective? He's one of my best friends. Oh my god, that's amazing. So, you know, I'm in prison, and I'm in there, and, man, I'm going to tell you something that always resonated me while I was in there. Like, I kept thinking about that. I couldn't stop thinking about this guy, you know, and because he's a white detective, and I'm, and I'm black, and I got all this stuff, and he shows me grace. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was so conflicting with that versus what I was seeing on television and hearing White police are killing all the black kids and black people are trying to lock them up. I'm like, wait, well, that's not the case. I don't, I experienced something different, you yeah, know, so. What, what year was the, uh, the L.A. riots? 91. Yeah. Yeah, it was Rodney King stuff, you know, so I experienced something different. And so when I was in, when I went to college, when I was in prison, I'm jumping to prison now, you know, I got in college. I wrote the warden over 150 letters in prison to let me in school. Because they don't let gang members in school when you're in prison. Okay. Right? Because they think you're going to be able to kill someone, recruit. You know, you're a gang member. You're in this building. You're away from everyone. Right? So the they, they separate you? They separate you. Oh, right. yeah. yeah they so, like, if you're you. not a gang member and you want to go to school, they, they put you in a different house. You're in a different okay. different dorm. Yeah, you're different. Okay. I mean, you're over with the bad guys and with the bad guys, right? Right. It's total contamination. You know what I mean? So, I wrote the warden over 150 letters because they wouldn't let me in school. Yeah. Man, then one day... I'm, of course, I'm reading it this time, and I'm pressing in, man. I'm pressing in. I knew that I was different. I knew what I was chasing. I knew I needed education. I wrote 150 letters, and one day I see the warden walking across the, uh, the chow hall. And you know the warden is on the prison because all the guards, you hear the radios. Yeah. The guards are surrounding him. He's got this big 10-gallon hat, right? Right. It's like cowboy, a movie. Yeah. Dude, cowboy hat is so big, there's an eclipse on the whole unit, <laughs> right? No sun could hit where, the unit when the warden Where were you up. in prison at? Uh, I was on Styles Unit, Gory, um, High Tower Unit here in Texas. In here Texas, in Texas. Okay. I was in Huntsville, um, Ferguson, 
So I hit rock and roll units, you know, because I was aggravated robbery. You know, yeah. I was a bad actor, right? And, man, so I'm making my way around the guards and all the guys in line because in prison you walk a straight line, you know. And at this point, they had started knowing me to be a man of God. Like, this, yeah. I'm different. This guy's different now, you know. And the guard's like, Williams, what are you doing? I said, I got to get to the warden, you know. So I finally get close to the warden. And, man, I'm, like, humping trying to get to the warden. Everybody's yelling at me, stop. And I get close to the warden. I yell his name, Warden Jones. And he turns around. He looks at me. He says, Williams, I know who you are. If you don't write me any more letters, I'll let you in school. And I said, yes, sir, that's all I wanted. Mm. So that taught me persistence. Persistence. Oh, that's powerful. Excellence excellence demands an opportunity where there is none. Ah, I like that. Does that make sense? Say that again. Excellence demands an opportunity when there is none. Oh, my gosh. I love that. An opportunity or position has to show up when you walk in excellence. Because everything in the universe is looking for excellence. Mm. Are you with me? Yes, sir. He lets me in school, man. You know, so I'm in school. I'm reading. And I take a speech class because speech is teaching me about communication. And I'm sort of tapping in. Now I'm sort of... Like, I'm, I'm not knowing who I am, but I'm choosing these things that are leading up to who I am. It's like God was still hiding some things from me, you yeah. know? And it, it taught me the handshake. You know, shaking hands. 90-degree angle symbolizes friendship. Human touch on the hand, elbow, or shoulder. And it's crazy because I'm in here and I'm learning to shake. And I said, this is how I'm going to shake Alan Patton's hand one day. Who, that was the detective. The detective, detective. Yeah. Because I, all I could think of is I got to get out of here and I need to go thank this guy for what he did. Right? Uh, is, I mean, it sounds like Alan's really the first person that believed in you. He, he is. After years, he's the first person that believed in me. You know, he gave me an opportunity in the midst of my darkness. He saw the light in me. Huh. So did he, you, did you uh, start to write him or did you not make no, contact? No, no, no. Never contact. I don't know how to contact him. Yeah. Right? I just, I just knew what I wanted to do, yeah. right? So I started putting a plan together. You know, I believe that when preparation meets opportunity, it becomes a formula for success. Yes. I began to read about Abraham Lincoln, who um, found, a book, found a, a book in the bottom of a barrel that he bought for one cent. And when he read that book, he saw himself becoming the president of the United States of America. So he said, if I had 45 minutes to chop down a tree, I spent the first 30 minutes sharpening my axe. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw prison as the ability to sharpen my axe. The power of preparation. The power of preparation. Preparation is the proof of your faith. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me highlight that real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Keenan. No, no, you're, good. you're sat in prison, which the story you could tell yourself is, I'm in prison. I got no hope. I'm, you know, I'm going to be in here. There's bad things. Look at all this stuff that's happened to me. You know, where did I go wrong? You could be asking that question. Instead, you go, actually, I'm in prison. I, I got it. no responsibilities. I, I have it. all the opportunity to go and sharpen my axe and prepare. I flipped it. It was just a perspective. It was all a perspective, I right? love that, man. We would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning at prison to eat breakfast, which, please, God, please explain to me why. Okay, we, we, Who both, does wake, that, we right? both wake up pretty early. Well, so. but, but in prison, you wake up at four to go eat breakfast just right. to go back to the dorm to get locked down in the cell to go back to sleep. Right, okay. Yeah. So I was like, why do they do that? Yeah. But instead of criticizing, I said, okay, I'm going to wake up at four. I'm going to do my push ups. I'm going to be ready when they open the door. Yes, sir. Right? Yeah. I'm going to stay up. So at five or 5 30, I'm going to be ready to do some work. So when I get out, if I'm working at 5 or 5.30 and the rest of the world starts at 9, I can get a four-hour jump on everybody. Yep. 
I'm thinking like this in prison, right? Yes. So I'm reading, I'm working out in the morning. I don't go back to sleep. I take everything that they were using to harm me or to hurt me or to break me, I use it to build me. Yes. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And it was all about a perspective, you know? So, man, I'm reading, I'm studying, I'm putting my plan together, I'm taking these classes. I, I, the only reason I chose air conditioned refrigeration, please understand, I don't like the heat. <laughs> That's another reason I got saved. I'm like, man, if it's hotter in hell than it is in this prison, because prison is the hottest place in the world. They don't air condition it. There's no air conditioner oh, in there. Oh, dude, in Texas. Uh, in Texas, ooh. are you kidding me? Oh, we, we got I a lot of listeners imagine. outside of Texas. You sweat all yeah. day. I can't imagine. And then there's the... no cushion. Everything is metal. Right. So you're uh, sweating. Yeah. And in the, in the middle of the night, you're sweating. So you take a wet towel and you put the wet towel and you lay on the wet towel to try to help yourself stay cool. Jeez. And I'm like, man, there is no way I'm coming back to this. Are you kidding me? Without being yeah. dry. Dude, it's horrible, right? For, for those not in Texas, like our summers are basically 100 degrees. Like just every Minimum. Day. Yeah. Minimal 100. So, so just that, in case you don't know. I'll take Texas 100 is. degrees right, right now. Okay. You know what I mean? Are you yeah. kidding me? So, you know, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm using this place as a place of prayer. Okay, I didn't go to college, but this could be my college. Yes. You know, I didn't go. I'm not. I don't have a doctor's degree, but I'm going to get one right now. You know, so that became my attitude. That's why I read 248 books. I read every book that I could possibly find that would make me a better person. You know, I read about Frederick Douglass, who five years after slavery, he taught himself how to read and write. He was so educated. His ability to communicate and articulate was so immaculate. Yeah. He spoke one time and they say, you have to meet the president. And when I read that, I'm like, oh, my God. If Frederick Douglass met the president... After teaching himself to read and write, five years, I got six years, so can I. Huh. Then I'm reading about Joseph, man, how he goes from the prison to the palace, and it was cool because I didn't just understand he went from the prison to the palace. I began to understand the protocol of the next level. Huh, okay. So what was very interesting to me is this. Joseph shaved his beard before he went to see the king. Right, right. Why did he do that? Such a good point, Keenan. Okay, yeah. and this is why he did that. Because as a Hebrew, which he was, the long beard symbolized wisdom, strength, like Moses, right? Yeah. But to the Egyptians, it was offensive. Yeah. Huh. So God said, what are you willing to cut off to go to the next level? What are you, what are you willing to leave in prison? To go to the palace. Yeah, what yes. was his what was his honor he had to lay down? Yes, because in Rome you do as the Romans. Paul said, I became right. all things to all men. So I said, okay, I'm willing to cut anything off that may be good here, yeah. but it's offensive there. So I changed the way I was walking, I was talking. I used to have that super cool walk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that huggy bear you got walk. That strut, man. Yeah, man. I got that struck, man. I'm in prison, right? Yeah. I've been in the streets, I've been banging and slanging, so you got to have that cool walk. The only guy that was cooler than everyone I met is a guy named Freddie. His name was Freddie. This guy was so cool. When he walked, man, that freaking right leg, knee would like dip almost oh, yeah. to the sidewalk, yeah. and he'd come up real slow, man, and he'd just look around and see who was watching like it was an art. But this is the crazy part. Freddie walked so slow and he was so cool, he never made it to chow. And I wonder, I was like, does this guy ever eat anything? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I'm like, all right, if I'm going to go to the palace, one of the things I have to cut off is my walk. I said, God, you got to teach me how to walk different. 
and I read about Solomon. I know this is crazy Because you lose stuff, some friends man. over that. You don't walk cool anymore. Yeah, you got to have a cool walk. You fit in, right? So I said, I need to learn how to walk different. So I read about Solomon, and the Bible said he ascended, he walked into the temple, and the queen of Sheba saw it and fainted. Yeah. I said, I want to walk like this dude because yeah, that's saying. a bad man right that, there, right? My wife tells a similar story about the first time she saw me, so I can right? totally relate. I'm being serious. I'm having to grab this yeah. stuff to be able to change not only who I was internally, but how I presented myself. Yeah. Because the way you present yourself in prison is not the way you present yourself in the White House. Right. I changed the way I was eating. I worked on my posture, sitting straight up, and I take my time. I said, okay, I'm going to eat with delegates one day. I'm going to eat with the king. I'm going to eat with the president. I've got to take my time eating. I don't want to be offensive because the Bible said at the king's table, yes. you don't even eat the last bite. Right. You take your time. You eat with respect to the king. So, man, I'd be sitting there. I'm taking my time. And guys used to ask. They started asking. Because in prison, you got to eat in like 10 minutes, right? 10 minutes? Like six to seven minutes. Yeah. That's really? when you walk. Why? Are you kidding me? Bro, I've never been to prison, Listen, man. Like, you got to eat know. like a madman because okay. if you don't, they walk by and they hit the table. When they hit that table, you got to get up and drop that stuff in the chute. Oh, okay. okay. So whatever you didn't eat in that seven minutes from entering the door, you don't get to eat. Right, okay. Right? So yeah. you could go to bed really, really hungry. Right, okay. So I said, you know what, God? You want me to eat slow? Then you better make something. You got to do something to compensate for my hunger because I know I'm going to be hungry at night, right? I didn't have anyone sending money. I didn't have anyone visit. My mother visited me every now and then, right? And, and I appreciate that. But the guy started saying, hey, why do you eat like that? I said, because one day I'm going to go to the White House, and I'm going to eat with the president in 1996. And it's ironic because I told a bunch of guys that I went to church with that I was going to go to the White House, and they laughed at me. So uh -huh. you said this in 96. When in Clinton 1996, right. I said, I'm going to go to the White House, White House because if Joseph did it, so can I. Right. I had no idea who would be president. I had no idea what party I'd become with. I had no idea how it was going to happen. I just knew that I saw Joseph doing it. Yeah. And I knew that I could do it. So I started preparing for the thing that I had never been to. Yeah. Eating, walking, shake, shaking hands, practicing on my speech. Because, you know, when you get in the streets, man, you start speaking street language. Yeah. Right? Sure. You can't, I can't be black talking white in the hood on the cut selling yeah. dope. Right. And being a gang member. I got to, like, go straight hood, right? right? Yeah, yeah. But it was still in me. Yeah. So, you know, I started getting that back. I started practicing on my speech, articulating, communicating. And I changed all of that stuff. And, you know, by, by the time I was getting ready to get out, I started putting my plan together of what I was going to do. And so in prison, you can get phone books. You know, so how many years? Six years. Six years. I got sentenced to six years, and I did six years. I really was only supposed to do two years. But fighting, being sure. disobedient, yeah. doing crazy stuff, I got to serve all. Because your you first know? four were violent, right? My first four was violent. Yeah. So my last two, I come back up for parole, and they give me a two-year serve all. I'm like, okay, these next two years, man, I'm not just going to get an associate's degree. I'm going to get my doctor's degree. It's about to go down. Okay. Right? So I really, really pressed in. I stopped watching television. I stopped listening to the radio. I stopped hanging with the people I was hanging with. Right. I stopped going to places that I was going. Everything that I did in prison had a purpose to it. Yes. Because prison became my place of preparation. Yeah. Does that make sense? So that when I walked out of prison, you know, when I walked out of prison that next day, the very next day, I got a job. Can I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Keenan, but like we, this has been amazing. Like you, you were giving all these things. I just want to quickly 
highlight a few points that you've made. Sure. Typically, we will go through and give people real solid how-tos. And if you're not picking up on all this stuff, uh, I don't know that you're necessarily paying attention. So if you're, <laughs> if you're like working out or you're driving or you're doing something while you're listening to this, please stop and, and realize what Keenan has just said to us. The man had no reason. I mean, you, you've been in the White House. How many different presidents have you been in the White House with, Keenan? Well, just, you know, one, President Trump. Okay. I was a President Trump. Uh, I've been with him several times, but I was strategic director for his campaign. Right. And you, I mean, but you're regularly in touch with senators and House you know, representatives. Well, they're my friends, yeah. I, right. still do, I still counsel them on a lot of things okay. as far as reentry is concerned. So, so, like, dealing with the absolute highest of the high that you can get in this country. Yeah. Now, so a guy that grew oh, up. Oh, and by the way. Those people that laughed at me in '96, yeah. they're not laughing anymore. I bet no. not. But they stopped laughing, right? Yeah, but for bet they're calling Keenan. Uh, you think you could? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Keenan, can you put in a good word for me? Oh, oh, hey. So you remember I told you about Warden Jones, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the warden yeah. with the yes. big hat. So about four years ago, five years ago, I keep forgetting we missed one or two years from COVID, right? Right. I did a conference in Galveston, Texas, and I trained on perception. And how to see people for who they could, who they not for who they were, because if you see a man for who he is, he becomes worse in prison. Right. Huh. But if you see him for see who he, he could be, be yeah. he might become what he should be. Man, I love so that. I changed them on a perception and gave my story. And guess who was there? Warden Jones, my warden, because I trained all of the wardens for the state of Texas, all of the majors, and all the heads of parole. Huh. Oh man. And my warden was there, and all he could do was cry and give me a hug. Right? Oh. So it was pretty cool. I saw That's that big cowboy head out there. No, it's cool. And, 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 and let me go back to Detective Allen Patton. Yes, so please, yeah. I get out of prison. The next day I get a job, which I, I knew I was going to get a job because I'd already decided if you don't hire me, I hire you. You don't have to give me a job, I create a job, right? If I'm made out of the image and likeness of God, I have the ability to create. So instead of looking for problems, I look for solutions. Yes. But I look for the problems so that, because I knew I was going to bring a solution, right? Yeah. So, man, I wrote this plan. I jump up. Same thing I did in prison. Jump up. I do my push-ups 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, by 4.30, my mother says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to get a job. She says, 4.30 in the morning. I said, I know. I said, I'm going to leave it by 5. She said, you can't do that. You just got out of prison. I said, no, no, no. I've been waiting on six years for this opportunity, right? Yeah. So she says, I'll take you. I said, I don't need you to take me. I ran five miles every other day. I'm in the best shape of my life. <laughs> There's no one that can outwork me, yeah. right? I'm like, I'm in mode. So I had already mapped out 10 places around my mother's house that I could walk to because I didn't have a car, I didn't have a bicycle, and I was not going to depend on anything. Yeah, I had already determined that nobody owed me anything. Hmm. I owed it to myself. Yes. Nobody owes me anything. I owe it to myself to have a better life. 5.30 in the 5 o'clock in the morning, I take off, I get to the first job. It's 5.30, man. I'm standing there, ESP Air Conditioning Company in Arlington, which I forget. I did. I don't even like saying the name anymore because he used to pay me to say that, but he don't pay me anymore, so I got to quit saying the name, right? <laughs> got to pay this for this stuff, right? So I'm standing there, and this older white guy walks around the corner, and I'm by the bushes, scared the crap out of him. <laughs> Come on. I'm 220, yeah, yeah. freaking shoulders. I worked in the fields the whole time. Right. I work, you know. I got a white T-shirt on, so all the muscles are popping <laughs> right. up, you know? And it's 5.30 in the morning. This guy's about 5'5". Five, five. Right. I scared the crap out of him. I said, sir, don't be afraid. It's okay. I'm just here to get a job. He says, young man, it's 5.30 in the morning. I said, I know. He said, okay, well, we're hiring. My secretary comes in about 8, 8.30. She'll be getting in about, she'll come out and get you about 9. You can do an application, and we'll look at it. And... um I said, no, I'm going to wait right here because I read that first impressions will last throughout the day, and I don't want anyone in room opportunity to work for you. Huh. This cat looks at me, right? Cat meaning guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Come on, he come on, Keenan. We're a little bit cooler. Hey, he Keenan, bought a trash. There of credit. may be some old people looking. Okay, okay. I just say, give oh, us yeah. a little bit of credit. <laughs> man. Okay, my bad, my okay. bad, my bad. You know, I got some friends that are really white. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Dude, I've been in, I'm in the White House with freaking 25 congressmen in the room, and I have to do ebonical translations okay. when I say something. Keenan, right? where'd the cat come from? And they just laugh, right? Where is a cat? <laughs> yeah, right, where, I got, where, where's the pets? Where were the pets? I, I missed right, that part. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> so I, he looks at me, he's like, he says, give me a few minutes. He comes back to get me about 5.45. Yeah. I hand him my certificate. I say, you need to know something. I just got out of prison. For six years, but there's no one that you have that can outwork me, that has more integrity, be more beneficial to your company than me. And he's looking at me with his eyes are like lit up, right? Because he realizes, man, if I don't hire this dude, he's going to, somebody else is going to hire him, right? Yeah. I was working at six o'clock that morning. Dang. 15 minutes later, I'm working on the first crew. 30 minutes later, I'm running my own crew. What? Because I did the same thing I did in prison. So in prison, when I'm working in the air conditioning company, all the guys would leave to get back to the dorm to play dominoes. Right. I'd stay after, and I'd clean the tools, and I'd line everything up. Excellence. Excellence. Because employees spend 50% of their time looking for something that's not where it's supposed to be. Yeah. God is a God of order. He does everything decently in order. Mm. God shows up to the earth. Everything is here, but it's out of order. Yes. Right? Yep. That's why he said, let there be light. Why? Because yeah. it was darkness. So I did the same thing at this company. The guys take off. They're going to go have a drink. I don't drink. I don't drink alcohol. They're going to go have a beer at the bar. So I stay afterwards. I'm cleaning the tools. And then I line all the vans up. I didn't have a driver's license at the time, so but I st- still let me move the vans because I had one before I went. So I'm lining the vans up. I'm lining all the tools up. He says, why do you do this every day? And I tell him, because I want this company to be beneficial, economical, and efficient, and the number one air conditioning company in the country. And he's looking at me. Then I'm leading my own crew in 30 days. 60 days, I'm leading all the crews. 90 days, this guy pulls me in, because I'm talking to customers, right? Yeah. I'm bringing the light. I'm bringing the light, right? These customers, I'm just having fun. They're calling in. They're doing reviews. This guy's great. Can you send him to my neighbor? And, you know, so he's like, hey, these people are calling, and they really like you. Why don't you come to some of these sales meetings with me to land some contracts? So I started landing contracts with the guy, right? Then after 90 days, I'm running the company. Like, I'm doing everything. So I have no idea I'm a businessman at this point. Right. Yeah. All I know is I'm looking at these numbers, and it's all making sense this, to me. This makes me what this sounds like to me for the guy that you're working for. It's like Joseph and Paul. Oh, 100%. Dude, I'm telling you, you literally became Joseph. I'm looking at this. I've been a finance director for 15 years, right? I handle money. for. I got 40 banks on my phone. They love me. Wow. I handle millions of dollars for them, right? So I'm looking at this, and I'm doing the numbers, and I'm telling him what we need to do to grow. Yeah. Without seeing the people did you, working. Did you study finance when you were in prison? No. I didn't study finance. I can just add, multiply, and subtract okay. in my head, right? That's good enough. It's just really weird, yeah. right? It's just really weird. I see it in my head, right? So I started managing the guys by the numbers. Yeah. And I'm telling them how to hit certain numbers. And I'm putting projections together. And then all of a sudden, 90 days, you know, I'm helping him. Six months later, I start my own company. Oh, I oh walk into a warehouse. I walk into a warehouse to visit my dad. Um, AMC Warehouse in Grand Prix, Texas. I walk in. I see these guys unloading trucks, and they're doing this. And I said, okay. I tell him, I said, if this guy pulls his pallet up, Puts another one here. Teach him how to read. How much you pay the doctor? We we'll pay him forty-eight thousand dollars. Take him to the back. He can work on the shipping. Teach this guy to do more receiving. That'll expedite what you guys are doing, and you become faster. So he takes me to the owner. He convinces the owner to give me an opportunity, and I beat everybody on the dock. 
So I land this contract, and I went from myself to 48 employees in less than a year. I took over the whole warehouse. Killing. First year out of prison, I made $120,000. Oh, Dang. my gosh. And in what year? In, yeah, and from ninety-eight to ninety-nine, I made one hundred twenty thousand oh dollars, six figures, because I solved the problem. Right with inflation, that's like seven million dollars today, right? I don't know what it is. <laughs> just right, and it was right. really cool, you know. Um, and then I just and then and then God taught me how to do subtraction again, and so I gave and I moved into the business. So this is my second year. I'm in business. I had a guy named Quincy who was very, very. I trusted him, right? Now the reason I trusted him to me, the trust is verified. Yeah. So. He had no idea I would be calling these trucking companies to find out how much money they gave him. Oh, right. Checks, cash, whatever it may be, because a, a, a driver that's coming from Ohio can give you a check, and you can replace a cum check with another cum check and write a different dollar amount on it. Go, you know, you could play games, right? Right. And he was always on point. He never lied to me. I said, God, I need to grow. And he says, give Quincy 60% of your company. 60 my contract, right? Right. Said, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I said, devil, you are lying. The truth ain't in you. <laughs> Who gives away 60%? Nope. Yeah. So it keeps getting on me. It's getting on me, getting on me. And I couldn't grow because I couldn't, I, I couldn't get time to go grow. Yeah. I had to be there. Huh. I give Quincy 60%. What does it do? It increases the quality of his life. He makes more money. Yeah. His wife's happy. He's happier. I don't have to be there because now he has 60%. He goes from making... $1,000 a week to $5,000 a week. Dang, yeah. Right, I give him more responsibility. I give him responsibility he already has, right? So I give him 60%. I walk away with 40 I go around the FWB and company. They were doing shrimp loads. I walk in. I see it. I talk to the supervisor. I said, this is what I can do. I change it up. Give me an opportunity. I land that contract. So because I gave up 60 I walk around the corner with 40 Now I got 140% because I landed 100%. Oh, I like it. Right? Yes, sir. I did that five times. So by the fourth year, I'm working five hours a week, and I'm making a lot of money. Because I work one hour, I go to each warehouse for one hour, collect checks, say hi to everybody. Huh. So I'm making millions of dollars, and I'm working five hours a week because of the formula God gave me. Now, this is my issue. <laughs> um, before I get to my issue, let me jump to this, because I, I jumped up a little bit. My second year out of prison, third year out of prison, I went down to the police station. To find Detective Alan Patton. Yes. Mm. Right. I go down. They call him out. I'm feeling good, man. I'm a businessman. I'm feeling really good. He walks out. I, I see him, you know. So I wave my hand because there's, there's people everywhere. So he realizes it's me looking for him, you know, because they tell him someone's here. So he's walking over towards me, raise my hand, and he gets closer, and he starts slowing down. So I put my hand out, the handshake I yes. let him speak. Because he doesn't know why you want to talk to him. Yeah. He sent a guy he just sent to prison. He doesn't know yeah. why I'm there. Yeah. He recognizes me. So he shakes my hand. He says, don't I know who you are? I said, yeah, I'm Keenan Williams. You sent me to prison about eight years ago. His heart starts beating in my hand. I feel it. He doesn't know why I'm there. Yeah. He doesn't have a gun on him. He's right. in a police station. So he's he like, doesn't know. Yeah. I immediately say, but I'm here to thank you because what you did changed my life. He looks at me. He breaks down in tears crying. Now he's hugging me and I'm crying with him. I don't know why he's crying, but he's crying, so I'm crying too, right? <laughs> he's crying. He says, I got to show you something. He takes me upstairs in the police station. He walks me behind. I go upstairs. There's police officers everywhere. Probably 50% of them had arrested me. 
So they're looking and they see me and they recognize me and I'm waving at them. You're still pretty jacked at that time. Yeah, and I'm waving at them, you know. I'm laughing because they're looking at me like, what is this guy yeah. doing here, you know? And I'm laughing because I don't have handcuffs on, yeah. baby, you know. <laughs> I'm feeling good. He sets me down at his desk. He opens his computer. And he says, I got to show you this. He was writing his letter of resignation. He said, I was wow. resigning because I didn't think that anyone cared about the job that I did. Oh, my God. That was in 2001. Allen didn't retire until 2015. Wow. I had no idea. That's why God prompted me to go on that day, yes. that year, at that moment. Oh, my. From that day, from 2001 is 2022, he's been one of my best friends. That's awesome. We share. We've done. That's amazing. We've done documentaries on news stations together. He's in my book. He's in my movie that's coming up. Oh, you got a movie coming out? Yeah, I got a movie coming out. Awesome. Um, he's in the movie. We talk about, we've been, we've spoken together. Yeah. You know, we've been to churches. We've been to a youth camp together. Uh, we're about to hit prisons together because now he's in prison ministry. That's amazing. No. Right? Yeah. He's in prison ministry now. You know, we, he shares things with me and I share things with him that we can only share with each other because we trust each other. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So everything that went wrong in my life, God has turned it out to be right. We're going to pause it right there for this week, guys, but be sure to join us next week to hear part two of Keenan's story and hear how he went from being a successful businessman to vice president of the NAACP and then on to the White House with President Donald Trump as his campaign advisor right here in Texas. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Remember to share, like, subscribe. If you think that this would be something that someone would enjoy, please send it to them. We appreciate it all. If you want to get in touch, you can follow us on Instagram at The Impossible Life. You'll find us on there. You can also email at impossiblelifepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you want to get in touch and find out about Garrett's personal or business coaching, that's the way to do it. Thank you again for listening. Go out there, think better, and live the impossible. See you again soon. Long before ice baths were a thing, Garrett was doing them in the SEAL teams. Now we do them as part of our daily morning routine to make us better. We are very pleased to have partnered with Freedom Plunge. Freedom Plunge is on a mission to bring cold exposure to everyone. They believe that cold plunges should be affordable, easy to use, and represent the customer themselves. Cold plunges shouldn't cost a fortune, and these ones don't. Garrett and I both use our Freedom Cold Plunge every single day. It's customized. You can put whatever you want on them. For us, we have our Impossible Life logos. And here's the best part. Just for listening to this podcast, you can go to freedomplunge.com, use the discount code IMPOSSIBLE, and save $500 off any Freedom Plunge. These things are half the price of the ones that you see on the internet, plus you're going to save an additional $500 with code IMPOSSIBLE. Go to freedomplunge.com and get yourself one now. You will not regret it.